Welcome to this week's episode of Freedom Fanatics. This week we will be discussing how local elections work and check out three myths told about South Africa's history. So stay with us, we're going to have a good show. Welcome to Freedom Fanatics. This is a production of the Freedom Advocacy Network. This show is every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on YouTube and Facebook. And each week we discuss the latest fan content with authors and creators right here. My name is Solon, and this week I'm joined by Marius Roer, who is an editor at the Daily Friend and also a writer at the Institute of Race Relations. And also this time we have a first-time guest, who is Nicholas Larimer, um, a YouTube sensation, um, as a host of the Daily Friend show. Um, you guys should definitely check that out as well. Uh, thank you guys for being on the show today and for making the time. So right now we'll be having a quick look into our latest Explainer video, which fan releases every Monday. And this week's um, Explainer video basically just explains to us how our municipal ele elections work. So let's have a quick watch. When you vote to elect people to represent you in your local municipality, you get two ballots. The first is for a person to represent your local geographic ward. And the second is a vote for the party which you would like to be in charge of your municipality. This is called the proportional representation or PR ballot. Your ward vote can be for someone who represents a party or for an independent candidate. This person will be the political representative for you and your community. They will be the one you go to when having problems in your area, whether it be electricity issues, lack of municipal service delivery, or safety concerns. And how are local council seats determined in your municipality? A quota of votes needed to gain a seat is worked out by adding the total number of votes cast in that election on both the PR and ward ballots and then dividing it by the number of seats available in the municipality. All votes cast for a party on the PR ballot and for that party's candidates on ward ballots are added together. Each party's total is then divided by the quota to see how many seats they are entitled to. The number of ward seats already won by that party are then subtracted from the total number of seats allocated to the party. The remainder of seats the party is entitled to are then allocated to councillors on the party's PR list to ensure the proportion of votes cast for a party roughly matches its proportion of seats. Your municipal vote is one of the most important that you will cast. Make sure you use it wisely. Your ward representative will be the first political representative you go to when you have problems with service delivery. Make sure it's someone you can count on. 
Yeah, so we just watched our latest um, fan explainer video. And here at FanRe, we really try our best to simplify <laughs> complex ideas, systems, and even topics. And that's why I think this was a necessary one for us to tackle. Um, Marius, um, so as you know, you know um, there are proposals going around for um, electoral reform to take place in South Africa. And I assume that it would tackle at all levels of um, our government with its national, provincial, and even as our yeah, as local government as well. And would would electoral reform improve our current electoral system and make it more simpler to understand? Well, uh, I think electoral reform will go to some way to improving South African democracy, but it won't be a silver bullet. It's only one of, one of the things we need to do to improve uh, the way things work. Uh, we also, uh, when people look at... Um, uh, how well South African democracy works. One of the issues that's always pointed out is lack of civic engagement and so on. And that's, mm -hmm. uh, we, we're actually seeing a decline in the proportion of people who do go vote. And I think that's for a number of reasons, but we also see there's lots of violent protests in South Africa. And often I think people feel that uh, politicians don't listen to them and and no difference is made at the ballot box. So they decide the only way they can be heard is through uh, violent protests and so on. And obviously you can't condone violent protests, but you have to understand sometimes why people feel that that is the way to do it. But yeah, we uh, the South African electoral system has to be formed. It was the, the Constitutional Court said the Electoral Act has until the middle of next year, I think, to uh, be amended. Because uh, at the moment, at for at national and provincial level, you only vote for party, you can't vote for a person. So independent candidates and so on can't uh, run for parliament or any of the nine provincial legislatures. So there's got to be some uh, some reform of the electoral system. So we could possibly use the uh, system we use at local level. We can scale it up to provincial and national level. And there's uh, other systems that have been proposed. Um, that the, and the only um, uh, requirement in the constitution for our electoral system is that it has to be broadly proportional. So that's yeah. the so we actually have quite a lot of uh, options to look at and so on. Uh, as I said, just the electoral system has to. Uh, be proportional. So, yeah, um, but I think uh, electoral reform will go uh, some way to making politicians more responsive, but not, uh, you know, it's not, as I say, it's not going to be a silver bullet. It's going to take a number of things to be done, and it's going to, and I think it's a kind of two way street. We need to get politicians who actually care about serving South Africans, and South Africans also need to take things like democracy and voting seriously. It's uh, uh, voting is a right, but it's also a responsibility. You also need to, and it's the best, best, most effective way in a democracy of making your voice heard. And I've said this before on the show, uh, the ANC has even shown that it is, sometimes it does listen to the voters, especially when it thinks it's going to lose an election. Yeah, that's a good point you raised there. Um, Nick, I'd like to come to you um, on that as well. Um, do you, by any chance, think that the complexity of our current electoral system is an added issue which pushes people away from voting? Uh, I think there are some people who are perhaps a little bit dissuaded by it. So, you know, um, yeah. like that formula that was described in the explainer video, it's not the easiest thing to get your head around unless you're, uh, you have quite a mathematical mind. But um, honestly, the, at the end of the day, we have a system that pretty closely matches the number of votes that are cast. So it's not like in, uh, in the UK where, uh, you know, a party can get 35% of the vote and then get the majority of seats in parliament. Um, and our, and our, in fact, our local government system, I think, is actually pretty good because it has both a constituency representative who's directly accountable to you, that is the ward councillor, and at the same time, you still get to express your vote for a party uh, to, to represent you in the municipality as well. So 
you get a pretty good idea of of, of what the uh, population um, is leaning towards. Uh, but I think the IEC and just generally South African society has done a pretty bad job, actually, of educating people on how the system works. And that does, I think, put people off. You get people who, you know, uh, uh, fairly well-educated, well-integrated, uh, middle-class people who will get two ballots and say, what, why? <laughs> and I think, I think uh, you know, that that's an incredibly common um, problem. And it does definitely hurt people's engagement with the system because if you can't really understand it, then you sort of go, well, I mean, is it really making a difference? How much of a difference is it making? Which is a problem because the vote, despite the myth that uh, that that your vote doesn't do anything in South Africa, the vote is an actually incredibly powerful tool and it is not used enough in South Africa to affect change. Yeah, thanks for your thoughts on our latest explain the video, guys. Um, and to our viewers, don't forget to catch our um, latest explain the videos, which are released every Monday, and they can be found on all our social media platforms. You can check it out on our Facebook page, uh, Freedom Advocacy Network. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, at Badger of Liberty. And now up next, we'll be looking at our article for this week, which was written by Nicholas Larimer, and it's titled Top Myths About South Africa's Past. Nicholas, the, what are the three myths that you identify in your article? Right, so the first one is one that I think a lot of older South Africans, they don't really buy, but a lot of younger people perhaps do. And that's, I guess, that the ANC liberated us. And it's not really true. Um, well, it is sort of true, but the ANC was one player in a very complicated uh, historical event, right? The collapse of apartheid took many, many different things together. Um, it took outside pressure in the form of sanctions. It took the apartheid government deciding that it needed to reform. It took uh, internal actors like the Pan-Africanist Congress, Azapo, the IFP, kind of all undermining it at key points. And one of the points I wanted to make in, in this listicle here was actually just that um, the ANC for a large period of the anti-apartheid struggle was actually kind of a, a bit of a sideshow. It had a lot of presence overseas, but its presence inside South Africa wasn't that big. Um, the, the PAC, the Pan-Africanist Congress, broke away from the ANC in 1959, and that became a really big force. Uh, it, uh, it actually was probably more influential during the, the 60s than the ANC was. Um, and, and it organized, for example, the Sharpeville protest, uh, the black consciousness movement in what would eventually become a Zappo, uh, was very important in organizing the Soweto protests against the introduction of Afrikaans in schools and the uh, associated uprising with that. And it wasn't really until the sort of late 80s that the ANC kind of came back into the country and managed to set up the United Democratic Front and begin to seriously deepen its influence in, in South Africa in a big way. Uh, another thing worth noting is that while modern history and sort of a lot of uh, a lot of historians today kind of try and paint the IFP as some sort of stooge of the apartheid government, it really wasn't. Um, although it was coming out of a homeland government, in this case, the government of KwaZulu-Natal, or, or yeah, the, the, the homeland of KwaZulu-Natal, um, Butelezi refused... Mangosuta Putlezi, the leader of the IFP, refused to uh, make KwaZulu an independent homeland, which was a very big stumbling block for the apartheid government's to uh, plans to force black South Africans out to rural areas. 
And in fact, for a time in the mid 70s, Butelezi was probably more popular than anyone in the ANC. Um, and that's because he was in the country and seen as someone who was resisting the apartheid government. Yeah. Well, um, if I can just note, Nick, um, on your on your last myth, eh, um, you can, I'm sure you're going to go in and explain onto it, but I'd just like to note that on your last um, myth, I think it's important that, you know, that you highlight the, the point that South Africa was always a diverse country um, hmm. with colonial settlers. Um, I mean, we have different tribes in South Africa. And I think it's when the, when the obsession with racial classification and racial identification actually takes place and it actually enters South African society, that's when we see discrimination and segregation actually rise rapidly in the country. And I mean, to this day, like these colonial settlers are long gone. Jan van Driebeek is long gone. And yet we still see the ANC today obsessed with the racialized policy. Like if you can just highlight that point, um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. Yeah, so one of the other one of the other myths I went into was about this idea that South African history has always just been black versus white or races yeah. versus races, right? And it's really not true. Um, for a lot of South Africa's history, the line between racial groups was far more blurred than many people imagine today. You had sort of colonial settlers who lived out in these on the frontiers in this kind of almost wild west type of environment who often adopted um, various African traditions and customs. There's lots of writings by shocked European explorers in the sort of uh, the 18, 1700s of, uh, in, where they, they go into the interior of South Africa and they find like some sort of white hunter or something who's basically acclimatized to the local culture. He's got multiple wives and he's basically sort of, you know, he's hybridized European and African cultures together. And then you have other groups who who actually went on to have a very big role in South Africa um, and are, are, I guess today we'd call them coloreds, but they're groups like the, the Griquas um, who went ahead of the European settlers into the interior of South Africa and they used horses and guns to kind of raid local African chieftains. Um, but they also lived a, a lifestyle that was kind of a bit of a hybrid. It was quite unique as well. Um, it was it was sort of like semi-nomadic roving around um, and, and they mixed both European and African cultures together. And it wasn't really until the late 1800s around the time that uh, diamond mining um, started in South Africa with the discovery of diamonds in Kimberley that we start to import very heavily these European ideas that were very popular at the time um, of racial, racial classification. And that's been a plague that we just haven't been able to get rid of since. Um, the South Africa is still very much set in that, that ideological block uh, from, from, from the late 1800s that basically says, no, it's all about races fighting each other. And that is something we really do need to shake because it's not really who we are as a country. Yeah, brilliantly said, Nick. Um, Maris, do you have any final thoughts for us on Nick's article? Um, no, but I think uh, you can, uh, well, I do. <laughs> I think you can probably link two things. Uh, uh, the fact that South Africa uh, is always, or people try to frame South Africa in these racialized terms and that the ANCU is, was the people who liber liberated us. I think the role of white South Africans in the anti-apartheid movement has been glossed over in some ways. I mean, there's so many people you can think of on different sides of the aisle. You get Joe Slover, who was in the ANC, who was anti-apartheid. You get Ellen Suzman, who was in the Progressive Party, who was anti-apartheid. There's lots of prominent South Africans in the 
uh, UDF who were fighting against apartheid. We've had we had South Africans, white South Africans killed by uh, apartheid death squads. People like Vic Turner come to mind. So I think it was uh, it wasn't this uh, the struggle against apartheid wasn't this uh, marginalized black uh, you know group of black people fighting the apartheid government. The anti-apartheid struggle was very diverse too, and Ted. You know, black South Africans, white South Africans, colored South Africans, Indian South Africans. And I think that's something, you know, the ANC yeah. government tries to frame it as this, you know, struggle just between black and white. And it was obviously far more complex than that. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I actually very specifically just bring that up in my heart. <laughs> I'm, my grandfather was, uh, was uh, an anti-apartheid progressive federal party uh, uh, MP, and I didn't want to be accused of bias. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but thank you guys for the discussion. And to our viewers, you can find all our written content on our website, freedomadvocacy.net. And uh, now we've reached the end of this episode, so don't forget to catch us every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on YouTube and Facebook and on IGTV as well. And to join fan, you can sign up at freedomadvocacy.net. And remember, your freedom is worth fighting for.